My guest this episode is Tracy Kobach, who is known to many people as one of the presenters and coordinators of the Pittsburgh AAC Language Seminar Series, and she's been instrumental in keeping this event running for many years. Others may be regular users of the popular evaluation tool, the AACP, which is the Augmentative and Alternative Communication Profile, a Continuum in Learning, which is available online from the ProEd website. She has a wealth of experience and knowledge, and it's a privilege to get to spend some time today talking to her and having the opportunity to learn from her what she has to say. So welcome, Tracy Kovac, and thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Russell. It's my um, pleasure and privilege to be a part of these podcasts. So um, I welcome the opportunity to share what little bits of information I may be able to um, with our listeners. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I am a Colorado native, which when I say that, you know, people who've been here for 40 years say, well, so am I. And I say, well, not really. I was born and raised in Colorado. I actually um, grew up in what's now, uh, you know, kind of a bedroom community or commuter community, Evergreen, Colorado, only about 20 miles outside of Denver. But when I grew up, it was really considered a mountain sort of town. And I had a wonderful childhood, um, an outdoorsy kind of a childhood. I, um, I had a horse and I remember my mother used to say to me, I'd get on my horse early in the morning and join my neighbor who had a horse. We were about the same age. And by neighbor, I mean like a person across the pasture and field and mountain, not right next door. And she'd just say, okay, be back before dark. And that was kind of the way my childhood was. <laughs> I was very privileged to be able to enjoy a lot of my um, outdoors experience that a lot of people in Colorado now have, but um, it was a pleasure for me. I started out in the field of speech language pathology by first being, when I first went to school and I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder, I was, um, because you have to declare a major, I think, you know, within the first few months, I declared mm -hmm. my major speech and drama. And I thought, well, that was, you know, logical because I was in plays in high school. So I thought, well, that would, you know, make sense. And I'll never forget that I was home for the Christmas holiday and I was with my dad. We were doing some kind of preparation for the meal. And he said, so what's your major now? And I said, speech and drama. And he said, so just tell me what kind of a job might you get as a speech and drama major? And I said, um, well, I don't. I don't know. And he said, so do you really think you're going to go to Hollywood and be an actress or something? And I said, no, I don't really think that. And he said, well, I think you might want to consider something else as your major since, you know, I'm paying for you to be in school. So literally, I think I went to the catalog and after speech and drama came speech language pathology. And so I said, OK, I'll do that. It was not a bad choice. I loved it from the very beginning. Um, I think so much of what we do as we become professionals is dependent upon our early experiences. And I'll remember one that when I was maybe a freshman or a sophomore in college, somebody was looking for a volunteer for a, a PE teacher uh -huh. to go, you know, at a certain time of day to go with this PE teacher to a school. And I thought, well, that's a good volunteer thing. It only takes about an hour and a half of my time. What it turned out to be was it was a PE teacher but he was working in a school where he had a lot of kids with special needs and he literally needed more hands. I mean, that's what he really needed. 
But what I found was I fell in love with these kids with special needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were so, well, special. (laughs) But, you know, they were just so like kids, but they had a few extra little things going on. And so that really got me started. Um, That and my experience in speech language pathology really got me started in my career in dealing with people with special needs, particularly children who had special needs, and some of those needs may be involving communication. So that's really kind of how I got into the field of AAC. The the risk of prying here. So how long have you been working in AAC itself? Yeah, I I was afraid you were going to ask that, Russell. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, my standard answer is more than 30 years, but I'll fess up. Um, I graduated um, with my master's degree in speech-language pathology in 1974. So it's really been more than 30 years. So, you know, I've been in it for a while. And I'll tell you that my first job as a speech-language pathologist, now, in those days, AAC was not really a field of practice. Right. It was... If you dealt with someone who had special needs, and my first job was actually at the Cerebral Palsy Center in Denver, Colorado, and I learned about AAC from the speech-language pathologist who was also there, and we would cut out pictures from magazines and paste them in books as a way to help folks who couldn't speak Uh um, communicate. My training up to that point was if you're working with somebody who has cerebral palsy, you do a lot of brushing, you do a lot of icing, you do a lot of getting those muscles to work in the mouth kind of things. You don't cut out pictures in a magazine, for heaven's sakes. So um, that was kind of an eye-opening experience from which I learned a ton. And I learned actually most of what I learned about speech and people who had motor disorders was from the OTs who actually worked there with those folks, um, not from anything I learned in in my coursework as a speech language pathologist. Do you remember when you first became aware of or introduced to technology as a way of addressing AAC? Yeah, I do actually, Russell. Um, it was by um, a hearing aid manufacturer representative, Phonic Ear, and Phonic Ear at the time, at least when I became aware of technology, had developed some communication devices primarily because they were working with people who had hearing impairments, but also had speech impairments. And so that was my first introduction to technology. And I think that I'm, I think it was the Handy Voice or Mm -hmm. the Phonic Ear 110. I can't remember exactly, but it was kind of like, oh my gosh. I can't even believe that there's something out there that can do that. So that was the that was one thing that I remember. The other thing that I remember was something that was produced by, I think, a company called Zygo at the time. And it was this kind of huge board, literally, you know, thing that kind of frame that you had to rest on a desk. And it had little lights that would kind of light up and kind of scan a little bit. And when you got and you'd have to cut out a picture or have a picture associated Mm -hmm. with the little lights. And when you got to the picture that you wanted to select that might have something that had something to communicate, you'd hit a switch. They had switches and it would stop the lights 
and it would stop on that particular picture, but it didn't have voice output. It was just a way to say, this is the picture that I want. It's a picture of Apple or whatever it was. That must mean I want to eat or whatever the interpretation of that picture was. And in relation to technology and AAC, when was, again, if you can remember, when was your MinSpeak moment? When did you discover and come across MinSpeak as a technique? Wow. Yeah. So I came across it. I'm trying to remember the year. It was in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. It had to be probably early 80s. And I was working with a young kid at the time, young boy, who had cortical visual impairment and had cerebral palsy and was nonverbal. And the person that I worked with, not speech, I think his, I don't know, I think his degree was in business or something. I don't know, but we were working together in a school. And he said, well, have you heard of this program called MinSpeak? You you know, you might want to think about it for this guy because all the pictures kind of stay the same. And that would be kind of good for somebody who couldn't see because they could kind of memorize where the pictures were. And I said, okay, well, I'll take a look at it. And I remember going to Fort Worth, Texas, to hear Bruce Baker give a lecture about MinSpeak. And when I first was introduced to it, I did what I think a lot of people do, which is to say, are you kidding? There's no way that anybody I work with will ever be able to figure this out. I can't figure it out. But as I learned more about it from Bruce and from others and things that were going on at the time, I found that, in fact, it was that that was my introduction to MinSpeak because it was the system that had some consistency that this young kid could learn to use. And in fact, he would um, I always had an argument with the school because I was working with him privately at the time and he was you know, doing great stuff. He could use a system really well. And this was before any kind of auditory prompts were available in systems. Mm -hmm. And the school said, this was, you know, a few years later and the school said, no, he can't do any of that stuff. And I said, oh yes, he can. He can do all these things. Well, turned out I invited him to come to an open house that we had for some kind of technology center that was opening. And I thought, oh, this will be great. He can be there and talk to people. They'll see how this technology works. And he was practically in tears the whole time because he couldn't do anything. And I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Well, what it turned out to be was that the environment was so noisy, he couldn't hear the beeps doing auditory scanning. And what he had relied upon is understanding because the pictures were always in the same place. He knew that when he started, hit his switch and the scanning started, it would go beep, beep, beep. And if that was the row that he wanted, he hit his switch again, and then he'd hear the beeps go through the columns. Beep, 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 beep. And if that's the one he wanted, he'd hit his switch, and it would speak whatever the content was. Wow. So that was my introduction. That was my MinSpeak moment over a few moments. That's what really got me hooked on this whole notion of how MinSpeak being a system that has pictures in the same location, always, always, always with multiple meanings could really work. And and with this same young man, I remember there was a picture of a phone on the system and we did phoneness for a whole month. I would say, okay, let's talk about a phone. What could a phone mean? Well, you could talk on a phone, you could call somebody, you can, it's for emergencies. In fact, there's a red phone that the president has. And when there's 
you know, going to be a war. He gets on the red phone and this kid went, <laughs> what? <laughs> and his mom, actually, one time I saw his mom a while later. Again, he had cerebral palsy and was in a wheelchair. And at the time, um, we had landlines and he had a landline in his kitchen that had, if you flipped it down, the keypad was on the phone itself. And I saw his mom at a, um, a park a few years later. And I said, so how's, you know, so-and-so doing? And she said, oh, fine. And I said, you look a little frazzled. What's up? She said, I'm dealing with the phone company. And I said, oh my gosh, what's going on? And she said, well, I got a bill last month and there were, there were calls to Germany, to (laughs) Australia, to Florida. I don't know anybody in any of those places. And what had happened was this kid was hanging out in his wheelchair while his mom was making dinner. Uh-huh. He flipped the phone down on his tray and he was just like pushing in buttons, you no. know, calling people. All over. <laughs> no. I said, wow, that's a problem. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> uh, so thinking about today, what are you currently really interested in? So what's your current focus of, attention within AAC. I I still am in love with working with children. I that's primarily who who I've worked with over time. Um a couple of things one that I've learned over the years is that you have to have fun with kids because if you don't have fun with kids you you've you've missed the boat. Um you know, they'll uh-huh. they're really nice to us sometimes if they like you well enough, they'll try to do what you want them to do for a few minutes and then after that it's kind of like Glad I don't have to see her anymore. But the biggest thing for me right now is, I think, accountability. Uh-huh. And I've come to that, Russell, over time because for so long in the field of AAC, I think we just kind of flew by the seat of our pants. It was sort of like, oh, my gosh, nobody else knows what to do with these with this group of folks who can't talk. So I'm willing to deal with them. So, okay, yay, you can do what you want to do with them. That's fine and dandy. Get back to me later. And I think we did that. You know, I think we did the best that we could. We did what we thought was working and what sometimes didn't work, but what we thought should work. And But we didn't know why, um, and we didn't have any way to be accountable, really, more than saying, this is an objective that I have. I hope he can do this, whatever task it is, mm-hmm. 80% of the time. Um, and if he can, then I've done a good job. And we all know that we create our objectives based on what we think kids are going to be able to do or folks are going to be able to do regardless of what is really appropriate for them to do. So I think accountability, learning about what it means to be really competent as a communicator using technology is important. And I think oftentimes, you know, we kind of say, well, I want somebody to talk like I do. Well, okay, but is that realistic? Is that Mm -hmm. something that we really can say we can accomplish? And I came to this whole accountability thing, actually, because of the fact that I was working at the time at the Children's Hospital and the director of the department, there were all kinds of financial crunches in terms of people who were providing reimbursement for services. And there was the notion that services were going to be limited because of funding. And this director came to me one time and said, you know, I've seen Bill in the waiting room for years now, Mm -hmm. and he always comes here to work with you. And I'm just wondering, when do you think you're going to be finished with Bill? And I said, well, 
never, you know, Bill has cerebral palsy and he's nonverbal and we're trying out technology and I'm figuring out all these different systems and he's trying to make them work. And she said, well, I just think it's important that you understand that you may not be able to see Bill forever because Bill may not be funded forever. And the other speech therapists that we have that work with kids here get, you know, they discharge their kids within two or three years. And Uh I'm thinking you've been seeing Bill for about 10. What do you think's going on here? And it really got me thinking, well, what am I working? How can I be more accountable for what I think I'm doing and what is really what I am doing and what needs to be done? And that's, you know, that's really what got me started on the AAC profile, a continuum of learning, first defining what we're talking about in terms of communicative competence. And guess what? We didn't have to come up with this. Um, Janice Light defined that way back in 1985. You know, she said, right. this is what we know about areas of communicative competence for people who use AAC. And so based on that, you know, what am I doing? What are the skills that I need to teach in order to develop that competence? And that's kind of the continuum concept. You know, it's not going to happen black and white, but it is a continuum. The other thing that really helped me get to that was understanding that families really were looking at me saying, so when are you going to make him talk? You know, when is he going to be able to talk? And me being able to say, I'm working on that, but here are the skills that we need to work on first really helped families better understand, oh, this is a process. This isn't a day or night kind of a thing. I just get more speech therapy and pretty soon he's going to be able to talk. No, that's not the way it works. Uh Um, So it really helped me understand what I was doing and what I needed to be doing. I'm thinking about the people who are listening, uh, many of whom may be new to AAC or been just doing this for some time. And They'll meet folks like yourself. They'll recognize the name Tracy Kovac. Oh, gosh, you know, yes. Oh, she's wonderful. She's been doing this forever. She's an author. She's an educator, all this sort of thing. And they think, how on earth can I ever get there? Because these people are so good at doing what they do. But what I'm always curious is about people understanding that it's never as easy as that. And I wonder whether there's any memorable failure or that you've had at any point that you you made a real mess of it. And how did you react to that? And what did you learn from that? I hesitate to tell you how many failures I've had. And I guess that I prefer to think of them as maybe things that didn't work out quite the way I thought they should have. Right. So, you know, I think that that's one thing that, you know, in terms of if I had an opportunity to give anyone some advice getting into this field, as with many fields, but this one in particular, is to know it's not always going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. And it also, I think we also have to recognize that it doesn't, you know, our values about communication may not be someone else's value about communication. So I can think of really two things that are really, um, that stand out to me in terms of what I considered, you know, things that didn't work out the way I hoped they would. One is uh, one that just worked out amazingly well in the end. But for me, I was just like devastated. And it was a little girl who had, you know, formal diagnosis probably was a of speech, a little dysarthria as well. But 
I was able to get a, an augmentative communication device for her. Her parents, you know, were very cooperative. They bought into this whole concept. And guess what happened? She ended up talking. And it was sort of like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you just said that word. Now show me the picture. You know, tell me with your talker. And it was kind of like, whoa. And, you know, I guess that kind of goes into some of the myths we know about AAC, which is, you know, AAC is not always an alternative. It can right. certainly be an augmentative system and, in fact, can result in, you know, the outcome that I just described, this little girl talking. And so, you know, again, for me, it was kind of like, oh, bummer, she's not using this communication device, but, oh, golly, she doesn't need it. So, yay. The other thing that I remember very distinctly is, again, another um, young, she's now a young woman, but was at the time a young girl who was very um, competent in terms of her language and was very engaged socially. And her experience was, um, you know, her family had developed what was, an, it wasn't a PEX book, but it was like a PEX book. And it was like this huge notebook. And her mom developed this all on her own. So she had page after page after page of things that this little girl could talk about. And she would just like flip through the pages and the little girl would make a noise saying, yep, that's the page I want. And then she'd go bum, 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 bum with her finger down the rows of pictures and say, oh, yeah, OK, she wants to tell you about going swimming last night. So I'd go, what? And so I thought, oh, perfect. This is a perfect person for an augmentative communication system. So again, <laughs> got the augmentative communication system. She refused to use it. And I just thought, what is the deal here? And finally, what I was able to figure out is that what she really wanted was that person-to-person -person involvement and engagement. She wanted somebody to come up to her and engage with her in a way the technology couldn't. You know, I always kept saying, wow, you know, just think of how independent you can be. You can be in a whole other room of your house and you can ask for your mom to come and you need to tell her something, you know, all of those kinds of things that I just thought were so important in terms of independent communication. And they were just like not what she wanted at all. She wanted you. She wanted you to be there. And she never ever she had I think we went through two or three different communication systems. She never, ever would use them. And finally, finally, I understood why. She wanted a person to be in front of her. So let me move on a little here to a little slot that I'm calling the three C's, where I'm going to ask guests to make recommendations related to the three C's of culture, courses, and clinical practice. Hopefully this will also reveal a little bit about yourself or a little more for our listeners about yourself. But so in terms of culture, I'd love you to recommend to, to folks a book, a musical album and a movie. And why would you recommend those three things? OK, well, this was, uh, uh, you know, something that I actually had to put some thought to, Russell, when you said you might be asking these things. Good. Um, the first thing in terms of a book. I, I need to just, you know, fess up that I'm the worst in terms of personal reading. For me, <laughs> what I enjoy reading are things like the AAC journal. Now, I'm not saying that that's not important to read. But another thing that I just picked up the other day was called DBT for Dummies. And DBT stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. 
which is something that I don't even understand those words. So I'm reading that. But I will recommend a book. It's a fiction, a novel called Angle of Repose. And it's by Wallace Stegner. And I have to fess up that I actually haven't personally read this book, but my husband has, and he reads from it to me. Now, he is a nonfiction reader. He does not like fiction. This is a fiction, fictional novel, but um, it's about the American West, and it's just written so amazingly well. And part of the reason that he reads me passages from it is because he wants me to just listen to the words and how they go together and the picture that it paints. And it truly is a wonderful book. So I would definitely recommend that. Angle of Repose. Okay. In terms of an album, first of all, album is kind of a word that dates us, Russell. But when I started thinking about albums, the first thing that came to mind was something by the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. So that's an album that I'd recommend. I love the Beatles. I, you know, they're just classic. And so I just love them. In terms of a movie, the one that pops into my mind, and, you know, it could be that I've been listening to the jingle raindrops keep falling on your head from something, but it's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, And that's just fun. It was just a fun movie. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that it had some great actors in it, but, um, (laughs) you know. That's one that just kind of pops into my head. I'm the worst at remembering names of movies and, um, you know, directors and actors and actresses. Uh-huh. But when I see it again, I go, oh, yeah, I've seen that. So anyhow, those are the ones that I'd recommend. Perfect. And my next C is courses. So are there any courses or conferences or events that you think that AAC practitioners would benefit from? Well, there's, of course, you know, as in terms of your introduction, um, you mentioned the Pittsburgh AAC Language Seminar Series, so I have to mention that. (laughs) I think that's kind of a no-brainer. But the other thing that I think, um, something that really was moving for me, and I don't, it's not going on any longer. I I hope at some point it may happen again, but it was the Pittsburgh um, Employment Conference. Um, And that was something that I remember the first time I attended it, I couldn't really describe it other than saying it was an experience. And it's something that you can talk about, well, so-and-so talked about this and they had the town hall and blah, blah, blah. But really, you have to come away from it and think about it and think it was an experience. And in thinking about what's happening now, uh, again, because I think that the Pittsburgh Employment Conference is no longer happening, anything that we as AAC specialists or speech language pathologists can do that involves people who are using AAC is critically important, whether it's an event or a conference or a meeting, whatever it is, because we can learn so much from those individuals, so much more than we can ever be taught. Right. So anything like that, I would definitely recommend. And then finally, If you had to give people three tips for encouraging best clinical practice in AAC, just three tips, or one really good one, (laughs) what what would you say? Well, the first one I've already talked about, and that's accountability. I think that we have to be accountable for what we're doing. We can't just... We can't just think that what we're doing is going to work and because we know it's something that needs to happen. 
we really need to have accountability in terms of our services for people. Um, the other thing, uh, another thing that I would say is that a tip is that you always have to be open to learning. And you have to be open to learning from sometimes, you know, academic learning, sometimes things you'll hear at conferences, sometimes colleagues, sometimes other disciplines, certainly families and caregivers, and people who use AAC. So being open to learning doesn't mean just, you know, reading the AAC journal and mm-hmm. reading things that you didn't know anything about. But it's really opening yourself up to say, I don't know it all. I never will. And maybe the least likely person that you can think about or that you encounter is going to, to tell you something. And so that's another tip. You know, the third tip is just, I guess, kind of a practical one, which is just, you know, there's too much to do. You're never going to be the only one that can get it done. We have to rely on our colleagues in other disciplines, families, lots of other supports to understand that it's just not all about me. So as much as I know about a a particular device even or topic, it's not going to happen just by me knowing that. It's really, it's going to take a village. And so I think it's important to be humble in what we're doing and understand that it doesn't, it's not all up to me. It's going to have to take a lot of other people. And finally, how can people contact you with comments and questions? Because people are listening to this who now say, oh, got a great question for Tracy. Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, I love to have people ask me questions because don't we all like to say what we think we know? So I love having people contact me. <laughs> um, but I always learn from them, too, because their experiences are unique. Nobody has the same experience. So that's really fun. And I'm going to, you can certainly contact me by email and I'm going to give you my email address and I do not want you to be making fun of it. It's Kovac Tracy, no spaces, periods, at AOL.com. AOL. I know. Now do not make fun of it. Actually, um, not too long ago, I was having a problem with my email and so I contacted the customer support or whatever it was called um, through AA or through AOL. And I mentioned to this guy, I said, you know, when I give out my email address, sometimes people laugh and go, that's so old. Is AOL even still working? <laughs> and the guy said, what's so funny about that? <laughs> so, you know, he was not amused. But um, so feel free to be in touch with me. Um, you know, one thing I would ask you to do, if you could, on the subject line is to say something like, I have a question or I heard you on a podcast just so I don't inadvertently go through my emails one day and say, I don't know who that is and delete them. So that would be great. And you can also feel free to contact me either text or cell phone. My cell phone number is 303-909-9655. So Tracy Kovac, thank you very much for uh, sitting with me today and sharing all your experiences, your knowledge and suggestions and hopefully we'll get to chat with you again maybe in the near future thank you russell it was my pleasure and it's a wrap